Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Reformed Reflections. My name is Austin Chaney, and today I'm going to be talking about why Calvin was in favor of weekly communion. Now, as we'll get into it later on, we'll see that Calvin actually never got to do weekly communion. But to understand why he was in favor of weekly communion, we have to understand how he saw communion. But to start off, I just wanted to say that in mainline Protestantism, it's more unheard of to have actually partaken in the Lord's Supper than it is to not have partaken at all. For many congregates, they'll attend a Lord's Day service 52 times a year without the Lord's Supper ever crossing their mind. In smaller, more Reformed circles, the question more often raised is not if they'll partake in the Lord's Supper, but how often they should. Many opt for communion to be observed weekly, monthly, three times a year on celebrated holidays such as Christmas, Easter, and the Lord's Ascension, or even once a year on one of the mentioned holidays. Although they have their reasons, I wanted to take a historical look at John Calvin's view on the Lord's Supper and why he was in favor of weekly communion. First up, we have to understand that Calvin was a part of the Swiss Reformation. Calvin was called to the city of Geneva in 1536 to serve as a minister in a very recently reformed city. I'm talking very recent. Calvin was met with a lot of opposition and much of what he wanted to actually reform while he was there. And as Gordon Bruce comments in the biography of Calvin, he says while he was in Geneva, he would be taught a lesson about the implications of a semi-reformed church full of people who conformed to religious practices in which they did not believe. This lesson would be realized later as it would lead to Calvin's and his fellow ministers, William Farrell and Augustine Corralt, to be banished from the city in 1538, coincidentally over the Lord's Supper. It was in 1537 when Calvin submitted to the Genevan Council articles titled The Organization of the Church of Worship at Geneva Proposed by the Ministers of the Council. And a little side note on this before we continue. In Calvin's articles concerning the organization of the Church of Worship at Geneva, included in this article was for the church to exercise discipline instead of the state so that the Lord's Supper and here's a quote, be not soiled and contaminated by those coming to it and communicating who declare and manifest by their misconduct and evil life that they do not at all belong to Jesus. It is then necessary that those who have the power to frame regulations make it a rule that they come to this communion to be approved members of Jesus Christ. For this reason, our Savior set up his church, the correction and discipline of excommunication. Essentially, the reformers saw communion couldn't be administered properly without church discipline to protect the table. In protest, they refused the Lord's Supper to the city on Easter, April 23rd, 1538. Better no one partakes than it be defiled by some, was their mindset. This led to their own banishment from Geneva, as the Council of Geneva saw this as bluntly usurping their own authority. In the same articles that were submitted after that little note showing how he understood the Lord's Supper was to be guarded 
by the pastor or preacher from those whose lives do not reflect a life of holy living. He also says, It would be well to require that the communion of Holy Supper of Jesus Christ be held every Sunday, at least as a rule. However, because the frailty of the people is still so great, there is danger that this sacred and so excellent mystery be misunderstood if it be celebrated so often. He suggested instead to observe it on a monthly basis, saying in the articles. In view of this, it seemed good to us while hoping that the people who are still so infirm will be more strengthened, that the use be made of the sacred supper once a month. Calvin understood the city of Geneva to be immature, spiritually, and the people were likely to misunderstand the nature of the Lord's Supper, associating it with the Roman Mass, and therefore profaning it. This monthly observance suggested, however, was never meant to be a permanent solution. The purpose he had in mind was to educate the laity on the nature of the Lord's Supper, and to distance the proper administration with the Lord's Supper from the Roman Catholic Mass. As we all know, being Reformed Baptists here, that the Roman Catholic Mass is a re-sacrifice of Christ. And administering the Lord's Supper once a week so close to a Reformed city is a no-go. As you can see, though it isn't explicitly stated elsewhere, it can be deduced because the population was 12,000 people. The Mass was abolished in Geneva on October 19, 1536, and the petition to the Council was written January 16, 1537, meaning hardly three months had passed, or 12 Sundays. There was barely any time for a well-rehearsed population in the Roman Catholic Mass to forget about the Roman Catholic Mass. A hint of this can also be picked up only 22 years later in Calvin's final 1559 edition of the Institutes. He says, All this mass of ceremonies being abandoned, the sacrament might be celebrated in the most becoming manner. If it were dispensed to the church very frequently, at least once a week. And when he talks about mass there, he doesn't mean mass is in the Roman Catholic Mass. He means mass as in an amount or a quantity he's implicitly addressing mass of ceremonies altogether so in order to understand why calvin was in favor of observing the lord's supper weekly it is important to understand how calvin viewed the christian life and the sacraments to calvin the christian life is to be in union with christ us and him and he and us there is no benefits of Christ that can be made of use to us unless we are to be found in him. Joel Beakey observes, Calvin could hardly speak of any doctrine outside of this union and communion with Christ. In book three of his institutes, Calvin would say, we must now see in what way we become possessed of the blessings which God has bestowed on his only begotten son. The first thing to be attended to is that as long as we are without Christ and separated from him, nothing which he suffered and did for the salvation of the human race is of the least benefit to us. 
to communicate to us the blessings which he received from the Father. He must become ours and dwell in us. Now, this communion with Christ, Calvin teaches in three forms throughout his writing. There is an incarnational communion through his humanity, a mystic communion from being engrafted into the life of Christ by the Holy Spirit, and a spiritual communion, which is a progressive growing enjoyment through the Spirit and blessings of the life of Christ through the mystic union. The incarnational union is explained by Calvin as the natural Son of God assumed to himself a body of our body, flesh of our flesh, bones of our bones, that he might be one with us, which is a union that all of man participates in by virtue of sharing a human nature. The mystic union is what is obtained only by faith and is a salvific one-time union. Calvin says, To this union alone it is owing that in regard to us, the Savior has not come in vain. To this is to be referred that sacred marriage, by which we become bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, and so one with him. For it is by the Spirit alone that he unites us to himself. And he goes on to say, We expect salvation from him, not because he stands aloof from us, but because in grafting us into his body, he not only makes us partakers of all of his benefits, but also himself. The spiritual union, though, Calvin distinguishes, is what comes after the mystic union and progresses and grows through the mystic union. Calvin will say, For after Christ, by the internal operation of the Spirit, has subdued and united us to himself in his body. He continues to us a second operation of the Spirit, by which he enriches us with his gifts. And the Spirit does not merely originate faith, but gradually increases it, until by its means he conducts us into the heavenly kingdom. It is through the spiritual union with Christ that Calvin speaks of the efficacy of the sacraments. The sacraments to Calvin are, as he says, an external sign by which the Lord seals on our consciousnesses his promise of goodwill toward us. In order to sustain the weakness of our faith, we may also define more briefly by calling it a testimony of divine favor toward us, confirmed by an external sign, which in meaning differ not from that of Augustine, which defines a sacrament to be a visible form of an invisible grace. From the definition which we have given, we perceive that there never is a sacrament without an antecedent promise. The sacrament being added as a kind of appendix with the view of confirming and sealing the promise and confirming it. So to Calvin, the sacraments are external signs of a promise from God, made more visible and sure to us physically in order to sustain our faith. As he'll say, our faith is slender and weak if it be not supported by all kinds of means, it is forthwith shaken and even falls. So our merciful Lord accommodates himself to our capacity by means of these earthly elements to lead us to himself and even in the flesh to exhibit a mirror of spiritual blessings. With the three unions of the Christian life distinguished, 
and Calvin's definition of a sacrament demonstrated, we have to understand one more thing in order to understand Calvin when he speaks of the Lord's Supper. When Calvin speaks of the Lord's Supper, Calvin will continually use the words along the lines of eating and drinking the blood of Christ for spiritual nourishment. And as an example, he'll say here, quoted from Calvin, short treatise on the Holy Supper of our Lord and only Savior Jesus Christ, written in 1540. It is said that his spirit is our life. So he himself with his own mouth declares that his flesh is truly food and his blood truly drink. It follows that to have our life with Christ, our soul should be fed on his body and blood as their proper food. As a side note, it's funny to note that Martin Luther reportedly said after reading Calvin's treatise that he would have, quote, entrusted the whole affair of this controversy over the Lord's Supper to him from the beginning. And he talks about this referring to the Mayberg soliloquy in 1529 with Ulrich Zwingli when they met in order to try to codify their reformations and could not agree on the Lord's Supper. Maybe Lutheranism would look a whole lot different today and Calvin been around a whole lot earlier. But to continue, back to that quote from his treatise. This may be confusing at first, but his language in his commentaries gives some clarity. In his comments on John 6.51, he writes, The eternal word of God is the fountain of life. So his flesh, as a channel, conveys to us that life which dwells intrinsically. In this sense, it is called life-giving because it conveys to us that life which it borrows from another quarter. Earlier in John 6.35, Calvin also comments, Our souls do not live by an intrinsic power, which they naturally have in themselves, but borrow life from Christ. And in John 6.54, he writes, That souls feed on his flesh and blood in precisely the same manner that the body is sustained by eating and drinking. And lastly, in his own institutes, he writes that we are quickened by the true partaking of him, which he designated by the terms eating and drinking. Whereas it is not the sight, but the eating of the bread that gives nourishment to the body. So the soul must partake of Christ truly and thoroughly that by his energy, it may grow into spiritual life. Calvin understands the Lord's Supper not to be the literal body and blood of Christ, but spiritually the body and blood of Christ. We do not feed on the actual body as if it were physical bread, but our souls feed and drink of Christ, by which he confers to us his life to us. Which Calvin best summarizes with, we are quickened by the true partaking of him, which he designated by the terms eating and drinking. For as it is not the sight, but the eating of bread that gives nourishment to the body, so the soul must partake of Christ truly and thoroughly that by his energy it may grow into spiritual life. The Lord's Supper, as it is to Calvin when he observes it, and quoting Calvin, calls to remembrance that Christ was made the bread of life, that we may constantly eat him. It assures us first that whatever Christ did for our sufferings was done to give life. And secondly, that this quickening is eternal. By it, we are ceaselessly nourished, sustained, 
and preserved in life. And he seals that offer by the sacred mystery of the supper. And when he accomplishes inwardly what he externally designates. If to receive the Lord's Supper is then to receive Christ, Calvin would then find it hard to believe a true church would gather to worship Christ, yet abstain from eating him as he has offered himself to true believers. Calvin says under the pretext of frequent communion and the neglect of it, whoever partakes not of the sacred rites is wicked and impudent in being present. Should anyone who was invited to a feast come in, wash your hands, take his seat, and seem to prepare to eat and thereafter taste nothing? Would he not, I ask, insult both the feast and the entertainer? Would it not have been better to not have made your appearance? Also to Calvin, to not observe the Lord's Supper is not to receive Christ. Calvin goes on to say, Each week at least, the table of the Lord ought to have been spread for the company of Christians, and the promises declared on which we might then spiritually feed. This he says in response to having communion only once a year. After saying yearly observance is an invention of the devil. It is not hard to imagine Calvin's words on the matter. If he were to have learned churches today don't observe communion at all. It would not be difficult to discern Calvin's response if he were to learn the Lord's Supper is reserved for once a month or limited times a year, just for the sole purpose of avoiding the laity from mistaking it as common. Calvin would say something to this reasoning alone, the same lines when it came to Roman Catholicism's adoration of the elements. Calvin says, in a manner relating to the true worship of God, we were thus lightly to act one word of scripture. Had all their thoughts been kept in due subjection with the word of God, they certainly would have listened to what he himself had said, take, eat, and drink, and obeyed the command by which he enjoins us to receive the sacrament, not worship it. Given the same error for worshiping the elements as the papists do, is related to the same argument for withholding its observance due to its holiness. Calvin saw the Lord's Supper to be observed at least once a week as the standard. He saw this not only as the standard practice that had been kept by the apostles in the early church, but what Christ had instituted as a sacrament in order to commune with and spiritually grow his people. Which is why he writes in the first lines of the first paragraph of chapter 17 in his 1559 Institutes, where he deals with the Lord's Supper. After God has received us into his family, he has been pleased by a pledge to assure us of his continued liberality. To this end, he has given another sacrament to his church by the handoff of his only begotten son, i.e. a spiritual feast, at which Christ testifies that he himself is living bread. John 6:51. On which our souls feed for a true and blessed immortality. So then Calvin insisted on a weekly observance not just because he was convinced of its command by God, but also because he saw it as the utmost importance for the saints that they have ample opportunity to worship and participate in this mystery of eating and drinking Christ. Calvin says, So as the faithful come to this communion, the life of Christ increases in them. He daily offers himself to be enjoyed by them. 
This is the communication which they receive in the Lord's Supper. So, hopefully you guys learned something new. Calvin being in favor in weekly communion. But also understanding a little bit more about communion. Why we partake in the Lord's Supper. That it's not about the thing itself. It's about the shadow the thing represents. Communing with Christ. Growing with Christ. Spiritually feeding our souls. So that we look to him in faith. And trust him. So thanks for listening today. This is Austin Cheney with Reform Reflections. Hope you guys have a good one.